that was the perfect life. That, that's what you did. You, you found a partner. You got married. It was a whole princess thing and it was happening for me. And then in a split second, it was all taken away. And I'd built my, my image of myself around that, around a relationship, a marriage, a family, the house. You know, that was all so important. And then all of a sudden I don't have it. And I was devastated. Welcome to A Woman's Blessing Podcast. My name is Lynette Allen, and this show is dedicated to honoring the strength and resilience of women. Over the past 20 years, I've held hundreds of sister circles and hosted deeply healing medicine retreats where I've been truly humbled to hear so many stories from women of how they've overcome really hard life situations. Women are so resilient and we're so brave and we develop courage that we never knew we had when we find ourselves in sometimes really deep, dark hours and we really pull ourselves through no matter what's going on. This show is about meeting the women who have done that. We'll be hearing their stories to reveal how they got through, what they did exactly and where their strength came from in order to inspire you. It's so deeply important to honour these life moments, the girls we used to be, the women we are now, and the women we are yet to become. And I'm so pleased to be able to speak to Trina today. Trina, I met here in Bali. I met her because I was interested in doing podcasts and she's like a podcasting queen to me. She knows exactly what she's been doing. And at this early stage in my podcast, she's been of great support to me. So Trina, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me on, Lynette. It's a real pleasure to be here. And look, firstly, I want to say thank you for um, getting these stories out there. I think it's really important to share these stories to help other women who might be just a little bit stuck in where they are in their lives. Yeah, I really like the idea of doing that. Uh, and I wanted the podcast to really be able to say, you know, this is where I was but this is what I did to get out because I think when you're stuck in the middle of something and you just, I mean, I've been there, you've been there where you just mm. really don't know what decision to make next or what to do or, and, and your mind is playing all kinds of funny tricks with you and you really don't know where to go. So I know you have a, quite a story. So do you want to share your story and then we'll talk about what you did to get yourself out yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, okay, so if we rewind back to when I was about, I'm about to turn 49, and if we rewind back to when I was in my early 20s, um, I was a young woman who'd grown up in a very, very small town. Um, I only knew that small town in far north Queensland, and I was quite sheltered, quite naive, I was in love with the love of my life and to this day he remains the most spectacular love of my life and you know we in my eyes I had the whole white picket fence thing happening like we'd built a house together and we we were engaged and we'd started like we were planning a, a family um we were to get married and we wanted a family together so much that we actually even started trying for the family um before we got married and oh actually it was like two months to the day before our wedding our planned wedding i actually miscarried our planned baby together and that was quite devastating for both of us um but it didn't, I'll be honest, it didn't wipe us out. And I remember lying on the couch together and just saying to Tony, like Tony was supporting me and he was upset, I was upset. And I remember saying, you know what, it's really okay because we've still got each other and, and I'm, I've still got you. And I remember that so distinctly. And then um, a week, uh, sorry, a month to the day again, like timing is just <laughs> so amazing in the things that have happened but a month to the day Tony was actually killed in a car accident um so you, yeah uh so you can imagine that was the most oh. 
devastating thing time of my life and you know because I thought I had it all you know like that that's that was the perfect life that that's what you did you you found a partner you got married it was a whole princess thing and it was happening for me and then in a split second it was all taken away and I'd built my my image of myself around that around a relationship a marriage a family the house you know that was all so important and then all of a sudden I don't have it and I was devastated and I you know apart from the, the obvious grief that goes with that I didn't know who I was I, I was no longer a person in a sense I had nothing that made me me anymore because everything was built around that yeah. and and you know I had no desire for anything else at that time when when we had our lives together I had no desire for anything else so I wasn't even thinking outside of not having that yeah so that that was really big for me and you know from there so much happened I like I said I was in a very small town and for anyone who's ever lived in a small town before you know everyone knows each other's business and sometimes it's really frustrating because everyone knows each other's business but in times like this it's when you really see the power of people and the true love that people just naturally have and that you might not see anymore and that whole town, not just my family and my immediate friends, the whole town supported me in ways that I just (laughs) that blew my mind you know we we lived out of town Mm. in a fairly rural area and there's no no public transport or anything like that and for me to get to work was about a 20 minute car ride um tony and i only had had the one car and he was in that car at the time which was written off and he had a motorbike Now, I didn't ride a motorbike, so I was stranded. So, you know, friends offered. I went and stayed with friends that closer to work and they took me to work and stuff. And and it got to a stage um, where I wasn't coping at all and I just felt like I needed to get out of town. So I, I went away. I went down to the Sunshine Coast to some friends for a break. And while I was on that break unknown to me the whole community had gotten together and you know there's a long story to it all but I come home my house was finished like we'd built it together so there were skirting boards and painting and little things that we were just doing on weekends to finish it off um so it was quite unfinished but the town had come together they'd finished my house off they'd landscaped the gardens for me um and you know that blew me away and then and then it wasn't too long it was only a few weeks after that that this huge surprise was presented to me where the town had gotten together and bought me a car because they knew how unsettled I was yeah no way yeah oh my god Trina yeah and out of that buying the car experience I just want to share a little side story that comes up about the natural love that exists in everyone I believe whether they're (laughs) to go to the extremes whether they're a terrorist or whether they're a priest in amongst that um like I, I received a list of people who had contributed towards this car and in amongst that there were three specific people who one of them had had the long time family feud with my family like generations of of family feuds so you know the kind of thing that builds up in a little town yeah one of them was a person that I had had an extreme breakdown with a couple of years earlier (laughs) Um, Actually, two two of the people were. That's the three people that come out. But, you know, in times of need, these people were able to draw on their love for another human being and put aside any surface shit, if I can say that. Mm. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I just wanted to draw that one out too. That's just come up for me as well. That's amazing. Mm. So you come back from your time away you're presented with a house and a car Mm. what happens then because obviously I I know the Trina I know now lives in Bali and 
you have a, a son now, mm. a teenager. Yep. So what happens to you from there and how do you move forward from that? Yeah, well, I guess that put me in a situation where I was able to just try and settle for a bit. But it ended up being that as giving and loving as this community was, I didn't know who I was and I was actually feeling a little a lot suffocated by the love and support that they were giving me. Um, And it kind of got a little bit too much. It didn't give me the space to actually get back and find out who I was and what I wanted to be doing now. I actually left town and moved to Cairns, which wasn't too far away, but it sort of gave me a little bit more space. And in, in that time where I was in a place that I wasn't so familiar with, I didn't know too many people, I was in a new job and such, I really cracked open. So okay, yeah. in that space, I, <clears throat> I actually felt into, fell into a deep depression there to the point of falling asleep on my desk at work and actually saving up, like going in doctor shopping and saving up some prescriptions and taking a heap of prescription medication because I felt like I just didn't ever want to wake up again. And, you know, it, it was a cry for help. Like I kind of, in hindsight, I know that I knew that I hadn't taken enough to actually kill myself, but that's how I felt. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess from there that was a, a wake-up call to me that I need to do some work. So I started and I, I was just looking for things that might make me happier and I started in counselling and that kind of wasn't right and, and I just I, I was just seeking things that made me happier. So anything that was presented to me that I thought might work, might make me happier, I kind of followed. And there were many, many things yeah. and, and, and a lot of things didn't feel right. And eventually I was offered a job opportunity. I was working in hotels at the time and I was offered a job opportunity to open a hotel on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. And okay. going to the Gold Coast was huge for me. It was like moving to the other side of the world. I'd never been that far away before, but I just felt within me that that's what I needed. So I did. I moved to the Gold Coast and that was kind of where my travel bug got inspired as well. It's, it's kind of interesting because you've gone from a state of wanting to die mm. and knowing that that was your call for help mm-hmm. to then thinking to yourself, okay, I, I just need to find myself things that make me happier. Mm. And I'm picking that up because I've done that myself in my hardest times when my first marriage broke down. Mm. And every single day I was crying or having some kind of panic attack. Mm. And so although I never tried to commit suicide or anything like that, I do remember feeling like I just have to find something each day that makes me feel happy. Mm. So in, in the doing of that, do you think that the little things that you did every day meant that when that opportunity to go to the Gold Coast came along, you were able to recognize it as, oh, that could be an interesting thing for me to do. That feels good. That's actually a really good point. And to be honest, I've never looked at it that way. But yeah, that that is how it happened. Because, you know, like, I guess I was coming from a young woman who had never experienced trauma or anything in life and had never had to put myself in situations that might have been a bit, little bit uncomfortable. So, yeah, because I had that deep need to be happy, um, I'd proven to myself yeah. that it wasn't death that I wanted, but I had that deep need to be happy. I was just doing tiny things and, and those were things like going along to, I love music, so going along to a concert by myself. So that was a yeah. huge step out of my comfort zone, but that made me a little bit yeah. happier. Lots of those little things then built up to, okay, I can stretch it a bit more now. I can go and what did I do? I joined a gym. I'd never done that before. I'd never had the the confidence to actually go to a gym. So I joined a gym and that just pushed me a little bit further. And then I ended up, you know, joining a dance class. God, I never thought I'd do that. So I did that. So, yeah, just, just constantly doing all these things that were just a smidgen tougher than the one before this is the thing i think think that people sometimes when they're in the depths of despair they are looking for the big savior the big Mm. thing that's gonna 
take them like some kind of alien UFO, zip them up out of that situation and place them somewhere else. But that's not how it works mm. because we have to, in, in the digging of ourselves out, it is the small, tiny things each day that give us pleasure that help us to dig ourselves out until mm. one day we have two or three things that make us feel good in a day. And, and then we have a smile for no reason. And, and then when someone presents a situation, we think, oh, man, that would be good. And I, it sounds so much like that's what happened and, and that there was no big helping hand up that you, with your energy from your depths, your deep knowing said, I need to be happier, consistently happier, and I'm going to do small all things. Mm. That's what I love about your story actually so far. Yeah, and it's interesting. I've never actually, it's it's nice to chat about it because I've never actually looked at it that way and that, that is exactly what happened. And I think the more you do those tiny smidgen things a little bit, the more you just push a little bit further, the more comfortable you get with yeah. it. Like, like learning to do anything new is practice, right? Yeah, yeah. You get more comfortable yeah. with that. And so you're able to take on things that are just a tiny bit bigger. So, you know, that moving to the Gold Coast was a huge thing for me. But how do I, I could yeah. not have, I could not have done that if I hadn't have done the small things pushing me up to that point. Ah, that's the point, you see. Because mm. if somebody had come to you in hospital when you mm. were just mm. recovering mm. from taking too much medication and said, listen, don't worry about it. We're going to get you a really big job. We're yep. going to move you right over to the Gold Coast. You, you yep. wouldn't have been able to hear that or feel no. that or see it. That probably would have petrified you, right? Yeah, yeah. It would have thrown me back into the depths again, probably. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. You okay, know. so this is awesome. Mm. This is how you move. This is how one moves themselves. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, like, yeah, you, you're able to, when you do that consistently, you're able to take on bigger things and bigger things. So then I moved to the Gold Coast and, like I said, that was huge, but I still wasn't happy. Okay. <laughs> I was happier, but I still wasn't happy. So I was, I just kept seeking. I just knew I'd proven to myself already, you can be happier than you were yesterday. Yes. And, um, and so I just kept seeking. And that was where I actually got into on the Gold Coast because I was completely alone. I knew not a soul. I was in a city, you know, with, to me, I'm like having to drive in traffic and traffic lights and stuff. And I'd not experienced that before. <laughs> you, know? you know, that was huge. Okay. There was a lot went on and, but I just knew I had to keep going. I had to keep looking for things that made me happy. And that is where I actually started getting full on into personal development training. I was attending, you know, trainings and seminars and workshops and there wasn't a lot of online stuff. I don't think there was any online stuff happening in my life at that time. But I just kept learning. I was very, very sceptical of most of the stuff that I was exploring. Mm -hmm. But if something felt good to me, I explored it a bit further. And yeah. I, might, I might have explored things a bit further that I did like, and then eventually they didn't suit me. So I'd go off on another yeah. tangent. So I just kept yeah. weaving through that 18 months there and I think exposing myself to possibilities was my my biggest change there actually yeah. allowing myself to have my eyes open and to just become aware that there are options there are different possibilities um and educating myself yeah that resonates with me too i understand yeah. Yeah, and and through doing that, and this is where like you do keep stretching, keep stretching, and your opportunities and experiences that are presented to you become bigger. I was actually offered then a position after about eighteen months. I was offered a position to go and manage a hotel in Solomon Island, and I was like, oh. "What the hell, the Solomon Islands?" <laughs> like I, I had to look up. I had to look up on a map where it actually was. <laughs> You know? Yeah. And I thought, but hang on, you're asking me, like at that time I'd done payroll and accounting jobs and reception and that sort of stuff. I hadn't actually done a management job. And it's like, I beg your pardon, you actually think that I can go and <laughs> manage a hotel in a foreign country? Are you crazy? I love that. <laughs> I love that. And oh, I yeah. love that. It sent me for a six. Like my initial reaction was, oh, God, no, I can't do that. Like, what are you thinking? But I become aware enough to think, don't make rash decisions. Look at it. Look at 
what it's all about. So I did. I looked into it and found out about the country and and realised that it was um, a developing country still at that time. And Mm -hmm. that sort of sent me back going, my God, you've never been out of Australia. Like, how are you going to go in a different culture? But just kept pushing a little bit, little bit, little bit and took it on. Yeah. (laughs) So you you were ready though. These little steps meant that when you... When you felt the push or the pull to really step forward and take yourself a bit further, mm. you, you had something in you that said, I can do it. I think yes. this is okay. I think I can do this. I want to try. Yeah. And exactly. I love that. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay, so I spent my six months there, absolutely loved it and you know, I obviously went through a lot of transformation and learning about myself there as well. And that contract came to an end and uh, the fire had been lit inside me by then. And I knew like I had done this on my own. I'd moved to a new country and done all this on my own and I had a taste of it and I wanted more. It wasn't going to stop. It was like I'd gotten into flow. And I think that's what happens as well. You do all these little things consistently and then you get into a flow of, okay, hey, I'm in this pushing myself out of my comfort zone flow now. I can eventually do anything. So, yeah, after that contract came to an end, I decided to go travelling on my own. So I hopped on a plane and flew to Heathrow and... Heathrow, that's the other side of the world. That's where I'm from. That's yeah. two hours from where I live in England or I used yeah. to live. Yeah, and well, so you oh. know so you know how huge and overwhelming Heathrow Airport can be. I don't like Heathrow Airport, <laughs> yeah. man. It's too big for me. <laughs> that's right. And I mean, the airport in the Solomon Islands was not an international airport of that kind of standard. So that was wow. huge. Okay. Didn't know what I was going to do. I, I did. I had. So hang on, you just you just decided to fly there from like your contract has ended, and then you're like, okay, I have to travel. I, I want to do this. What? And you just decided England was the place. Mm, no, actually, what I did, like, I knew because I was at the age then, like, I was, I don't know, twenty seven, twenty eight. So I didn't have friends around me that could just pack up and come traveling with me. They'd right. gotten married and they were having their families and and all that sort of thing. So. I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll do a tour. So I booked a Kentucky okay. tour. I booked a Kentucky tour, but I had intended that I was going to, like, I was in London, I think, for a week before the tour started. And then I thought, okay, after that, I believed that I would meet people on that tour and then maybe it might happen that they might be staying on and I'd stay on with them and whatever I kind of left it really open but the Kentucky tour was my was my anchor was my safety net like if I did get to the end of that I could just fly home okay right I got you yeah Yeah. but you were open you were open to the prospect of anything happening changing let's go with the flow see who I meet Yes, yeah, I had no return date. And then what happens? Um, so so I went, I I freaked out in London for a week. <laughs> um, you freaked out. Yeah. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I'm in London what the hell do I do now there's the queen yeah. how do I read this little red book that tells me where to go on the train <laughs> and the tube system yeah 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 um so yeah I did that and then I jumped on my tour I had an amazing time met some amazing people but none of them were staying on now uh, they're all going back to their homes and I thought okay I'm all right now like I've got this getting around the tube under control I can do that Um, I know where all the Aussie pubs are I can (laughs) I keep hanging out with people there Um, okay (laughs) and and like I want to like say as well I was still an extremely shy person at this time extremely shy person when I say I knew where all the pubs were and I could hang out it's more like yeah I could go and I could sit in that corner (laughs) back corner yeah okay and have a quiet beer but I knew that there there were familiar people around, like familiar accents around me. That's and of that thing. accent. I was going to say, the, yeah, it must have been the accent that was familiar to go. Okay, this feels like a nice place just to be. I feel safe here, and you know, yeah. 
I feel like I'm, I'm controlling my environment a little bit by being in this place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that gave you some, some comfort. It did. And I was just staying in backpackers. But once again, I wasn't meeting too many people because I still wasn't at that point where I could actually put myself out in front of people. But just to be around other people that were doing similar sorts of things was nice. Was nice. Yeah, it sounds like you'd reached a kind of a level that you could function at quite well, given you were you had taken yourself out of your surroundings. Yeah, that's the thing. I made sure once again, it was like seeking this happiness. I knew I wanted to do this travel thing, but I had to create the right environment that I felt comfortable in to do it. My desire to do it was so strong that it just happened. Like you, you just create these things I really like that I like that you made that your your thing you know to to have that place of of happiness you wanted to continue with that yeah and then another um serendipitous thing happened I was just walking down the street in London one day and just like my eyes just happened to glaze into this hairdressing salon as I was walking past and I went oh my god I know that girl and it happened to be a girl who come from Mossman, my hometown. She was actually, I think, Lou's about 10 years younger than me. So because it's a small town, I knew her, I knew her family, but I'd never really had anything to do with her because she was so much younger than me. Anyhow, yeah. there was that familiarity and I thought, I have to go and say hi. So that, that was okay. That was easy for me. So I walked in and said hi and she was obviously excited to see me too, a familiar face and, and yeah. I, you know, just got chatting and, and she said, and as the Aussies do in London, people just kind of bunk down on floors and stuff while they're travelling. Okay. And she, and yeah. she, she said, oh, well, you know, one of our flatmates is actually moving out. Why don't you move in with us? So it just all worked out perfectly. Yeah. Do <laughs> you know what, though? It's that trust, isn't it? That yeah. if you find So the more I'm learning mm-hmm. about life, the, the story of life is that when you put yourself in a, in a good feeling frame of mind, you are able to catch the signals. You are able to see what's in front of you. You you look left and you see what you're meant to see. And then you take the inspiration to go into the shop and say, oh, my God, hi, it's you. Yeah. And then from that, something else happens and there's another opportunity that presents it to yourself. But if you're in that very low feeling place and you're looking at the floor or Mm -hmm. you're too shy or in too much of a despairing place to go into that salon, then that wouldn't have happened and that signpost Mm -hmm. would not have been noticed. Spot on, you know. And at that time, I really didn't, I hadn't really explored too much about energy and intuition and all that sort of stuff stuff I guess but that's exactly what I was doing I was following my intuition (laughs) so important yeah that's where I landed and so I spent the next year living in London and sort of traveling from there and having a look around and I don't I can't recall what why I left maybe I just was done (laughs) I was you know I was done I was ready to to go home and I come home and I guess for the next fairly long chapter of my life, I just kept the common theme is that I just kept following what makes my heart sing. And I just kept myself in that space of being open to explore mm-hmm. anything that might have been might have crossed my path. Deep down, I still wasn't absolutely spot on fulfilled. And in our physical space that we occupy on this earth now, I don't think that there is a point that you ever get to absolute extreme fulfillment because there is always more. Um, I think we always want more. We always, I think we always, we get to somewhere where we want to be and then it becomes like a normal step. Like this mm. is normal now. Like I'm a bit bored now. What else can I reach for? We're always yes. reaching for something new. Yes. Yeah, I think to accept that is a good thing yeah. to know that, you know, if I want X, Y, or Z, when I get it, I'm going to revel in it for a little while, but then I'm going to want an A, B, and C. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm always going to want more. And I think my next big learning to keep moving in that kind of direction was to surround yourself with people who have a similar outlook on life to Mm -hmm. because I did go back I went back to my small country town where 
I absolutely adore the people there and I'm so grateful for them, but the majority of them haven't reached a point where they have the same outlook on life. So that kind of putting yourself in that space, it's an energetic thing. Yeah. It just bring, it brings you, I don't want to say down because I wasn't down, but it just closes you off. Putting yourself in that space closes you off again. You need to keep yourself around people who are going to be a little bit, who are a little bit further ahead than you, if you want to call it ahead mm -hmm. sort of thing, mm -hmm. or who are where you want to be, as well as people who are following behind you a little bit to keep mm -hmm. you growing. I don't think if you, if you don't do that, you can't keep growing because you need that pull from one end and you need yeah. to be pulling other people behind from the other side as well yeah. to keep moving forward and that's what I found I had to do and that's what I did. I surrounded myself, I got, you know, more into exploring um, more of the spiritual side of life which to me I'd never really tapped into before. So I was just exploring with a hint of scepticism. Healthy, healthy scepticism. Well, it is, you know. I don't think, I think scepticism, people kind of speak about scepticism as a negative thing, but I think it's, you need it because you've got to stand in your own power and go with what feels right for you. Because what feels right yeah. for me at my point in my life may not actually feel right for you at your point in your life. Where I live in Bali, we have two cows that live outside our gate. And they each have a calf. And whilst the mummy cows, they don't interact with us. They stare at us and they don't seem to mind us being around. And we're quite close to them. We live close to them. When we go out of our gate, we're quite close. But the small cows, they're like, you can see their eyebrows raising and their brows furrowing as if to go, oh my, who are you? What are you? Are you going to hurt me? Mm. And they're like, they're wanting to creep forward a bit to be engaging or to pick up a scent of you or something, but then you only have to flick a hand in the wrong direction and they run around, they run back. Mm. So they're not quite there yet and they're sceptical of our energy and what we're going to do. And, and I think it's important to have that because they have to feel their own ground so it's firm for when they take their steps, just like we do. Oh, my God, that is the most amazing analogy I've ever heard. That is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the it fact is. that the mom is stood there going, no, seriously, it's just a human. You're yeah. fine. She's <laughs> like, I'd protect you. It's fine. Mm -hmm. But the little calves are like, oh, my God, what do I do with you? And I really like that because it, they will grow up and they will put one foot in front of the other and they'll get closer to us or not as they decide, but they have to stand firm in their ground. Yeah. And we have to stand firm. I, I heard a story the other day of a man who uh, loved fly fishing and he used to kind of hop on the water, like scoot across the water going from rock to rock to rock to rock to rock. And he said to his wife that he trusted each rock would be there. And then she tried to do it. He was like, come on, come on, it's fun. You can do it. And she didn't find any rocks that, that, that were there for her. And she was wet and she twisted her ankle and it was cold water. And the whole thing for her was not pleasant because he was in his flow and he couldn't pull her along with him. Mm. So we have to find our own flow. Mm. That's what you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So what happened after that? So you go back home and you like, okay, the energy is a bit strange now. I took on a job where I was, travel was involved. It was a traveling job. I was based in a big city, but I was cool. I'd done London. I was okay with a big city. <laughs> uh, so I was in Sydney and the job was a traveling job. I was installing software. So I, I was in a state of learning, like I was just learning, learning, learning professionally. I was engaging with people that I would never ever cross paths with again. So yeah, I just kept moving that way and kept feeding my travel love. I did that for quite a few years and in amongst all this time to set the context for the next major chapter, I guess. I had not had another serious relationship. I'd had lots of like one night stands and that's kind of thing, but I'd not had a serious relationship. So it was about 10 years probably after Tony died and I'd been loving life, skidding around everywhere, meeting new people, having, having an absolute ball. I loved life. In fact, my 
motto was, I love my life. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was in the perfect spot. But I'd kind of I'd found, I'd moved to the Sunshine Coast and absolutely loved the Sunshine Coast and was doing really well professionally there. Um, my social life was fantastic. And I just sort of calmed and, and floated into that scene. In hindsight, I can see that I was actually, even though the best time I was having, there was still a part of me that was lonely and was desperate actually for a relationship. And so I kind of put myself out there. Online dating had only just sort of started to be a thing then. And I started playing around with online dating and it was just all a bit of fun for me, nothing too serious. And I met this guy and um, he blew my world. He was my knight in shining armour. Like he spoke to me in the most exquisite way and he treated me like a princess and I loved it. I fell under his spell and this was all online <laughs> and then we met mm -hmm. and because I was consumed by this, it was a spell, I have to call it that, it was a spell because I was all consumed by this and deep within hindsight tells me that deep within inside me I was so vulnerable and so desperate. On our first meeting, I can tell you I knew it wasn't right. <laughs> I, felt, yeah. I felt that it wasn't right, but I chose to ignore that feeling because okay. I believed that I could make it right. I had done all this stuff, you know. I, I was I was a strong woman. I was an independent woman. I was I was smart, you know, I was wise. I'd lived all of these experiences. I could make this right mm -hmm. because I wanted that. That was the icing on the cake for me. I wanted that. And if there were a few kinks, I could make it right. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I couldn't make it right. And that was a big mm -hmm. lesson for me that you only have control over who you are and what you do. You can't change someone else. Yeah. That ended up being um, a period of, oh, I don't know, I think it was only like 18 months of domestic violence. <laughs> and, do you know, I look back at this and it's it's – the whole intuition thing and trusting yourself and trusting what feels right for you is so important and that was such a big lesson. There was a point in our relationship and it had been a very toxic relationship from the beginning, probably about nine months in or something, I don't know. He proposed to me and yeah. oh, I've got to tell this story, I don't know whether it's <laughs> too long to keep in this, but I want to tell the story of what happened when he proposed. He knew that I was like only just hanging in there in the relationship and he had to do everything possible. He kind of banished me from having friends because friends are a really important part of my life. And so I let my friends go. They'd never let me go, but I'd let my friends go a bit. And he knew how important they were to me. When he proposed to me, he organised this dinner and this dinner was supposed to be a surprise party for a, a very close friend of mine. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, cool, you know, he's actually he's actually getting in and, and being part of my life and being part of my friends and that. And so this surprise ended up being all of my closest friends at this dinner and him proposing to me in amongst them. Wow, that's yes. a statement and a half. Yes. Now, in that proposal, when he proposed, I knew that I didn't want to marry this guy, but I also... Mm -hmm knew that my friends that were sitting around the table with me knew what an ass he was and they didn't like that I was with him either because they could see what he was doing to me. And I had um, defended him to them so many times mm. that, if I was, that if I was to say no, I'd look like an ass all around. This is how I felt. I felt yeah. like if I said no, my friends would be saying, I told you so. And if yeah. I said if I said no, I'd be hurting um, this guy because, you know, you don't knock someone down when they propose in public. 
sort of thing. So I was in this conundrum. Oh, wow. And and I said yes and put on this face that I was absolutely tickle pink and I was thrilled and it was so wonderful and, oh, my God, isn't he gorgeous to do something like this for me? You know, so, you know all this bullshit. And mm. I remember uh, my, my closest friend who the party was supposed to be for, she followed me into the toilet and she kind of, grabbed me by the shoulders and looked into my eyes and she said to me, Trina, is this really what you want? And I looked her direct in the eyes and I lied point blank to her. Oh, wow, darling. And I said, oh, of course, he's so beautiful, look how he treats me, I'm so happy, I'm so happy. And she knew that I was lying to her, but she was trying to push me and, and say, you don't have to do this, you know. I don't know what point actually brought up that story, but I felt it important to tell. I think it's the whole thing about the intuition that we have yeah. versus yes. The story we make up about ourselves and our social interactions with people and the expectations on us and us not wanting to appear, as you say, you know, like stupid or making the wrong choice or, you know, mm. it's, it's all based in, in the stories we tell ourselves mm -hmm. and not the mm. truth. That's right. And thank you. That's, that's reminded me where it was coming from because it was that follow your intuition and listen to yourself. You're the one that knows best because after mm. the, the result of that, okay, so I'm engaged to this guy. And then along the way, he's like pushing for let's set a, a wedding date. And I balked away from this wedding date so many times, so many times because I know, I knew mm. I, didn't, I didn't want to marry this guy. I knew it was the relationship was wrong and it was toxic, but I was still going to fix it. And when I fixed it, I would marry him. And then Did you marry him in the end? No, no, didn't. I didn't. Okay. No, no. But he then found, so I kept my strength to not marry him, but then he found another weakness and the weakness was that I wanted a child. Now, my first child, um, oh, which is actually a chapter before Dylan, I was a teen mum. Ah, sorry, before Tony, before Tony's death. Oh, I was a okay. teen mum. <laughs> so, yeah, I had my first child. I hadn't. I was a few months off turning 16 when I had my first child. And obviously that had been a big major chapter in my life as well that had carried through. And my strong desire was that I wanted, I'd had this, what was going to be the perfect family with Tony that was taken away. Uh -huh. And I wanted the perfect family. I wanted the married mum and dad with a happy family. I wanted more children and he knew that yeah. that was, that was a, a thing for me. So he pushed on that one. And for ages he pushed on having a baby. You know, it doesn't matter if we're not married, just have a baby, um, rah, rah, rah. And I stood strong and I said, no, if I have, I do want another baby, but if I have another baby, I want it in a healthy relationship and our relationship isn't healthy. And I want it, I want to be able to give this child everything the, these things and it seems pathetic now but at the time it was really important to me that I could go and buy a brand new cot for my baby and that I could buy mm. nice brand new clothes because with my first everything was gratefully given to me secondhand and stuff yeah but that was important yeah. for me. Anyhow, he wore me down through that and convinced me that, yes, he he is a provider. He had never provided anything towards the whole relationship, which was one of the issues. Um, but he convinced mm -hmm. me that, that yes, he, he is that person and he once this baby's here, <laughs> he will do it. So we had a baby. And, yeah, I, I did leave the relationship quite a few times because it ended up becoming, I ended up identifying that I was in way mm -hmm. deeper than I would recommend any relationship to go in the toxicity. Yeah. Um, so I left, I went through the normal cycle that happens. I have seen with a lot of domestic violence situations where you leave, you go back, you leave, you go back, you leave, you go back, and then it finally gets to a point where you know you're done. And that final yeah. no, I'm done point happened when um, my youngest son, Dylan, was three months old. That's such a story. 
because I can see what you wanted and how you were trying to make it fit your idea of what you wanted. So we've spoken about like the going with the flow and being open to possibilities and new ideas and new options and learning and listening to your intuition. And then we've also heard what you desperately wanted inside and how you tried to make something fit that with your human mind. And our human minds don't know anything. We can only make sense of what is in the physical right here and now Mm. that upper guidance we can seek from our intuition if we tune into it that's our real guidance system but Mm -hmm. I can see that what you wanted so much you were just trying to make it work because at the time like I knew about intuition and man these weren't nudges that I was being given they were loud and clear but Mm. I I didn't have the faith in it (laughs) the trust in it yeah so that, that was another big lesson, I guess, for me in learning to have faith and trust in my own knowing, my own inner knowing. What would you say to, you know, that you've sat in ceremony with me, you've, you've been mm. in um, several of my cacao ceremonies and women's blessing ceremonies. And you know that we honour the girl that we were, the woman we are now and the woman we are yet to become. Mm. With your story, the girl you were, what would you say to her now? knowing what you know now? Oh, you know what? I'd say thank you. I would say a big thank you. I'm so grateful for the girl that I was and I'm so grateful for the strength that she had to keep going because without having lived those experiences, I wouldn't have um, made as quickly... I think eventually if I kept going, I would have done it, but I wouldn't have made as quickly progression towards where I sit in my life now. So I say a huge thank you for your strength and your persistence. And that girl was strong. She was Mm. resilient and she carried on. And I really like the fact that you had this deep desire to seek happiness, to find yourself happy, to, to put yourself in happy positions and that that became your kind of guide rope, mm-hmm. I guess. It's how I live my life. And what would you say to the woman you are now? I would say to the woman I am now, man, you're doing such a great job. Keep it up. Like the magic, <laughs> you, you know the magic is always on the other side. If I can give you a quick example of honouring that that I experienced just in the last couple of days, I've just been on um, a women's retreat And I was um, put in a situation, stuff come up for me that I had no idea that was going to come up and it smacked me in the head like you wouldn't believe. And it was painful. It was so deeply painful. I I honestly haven't felt that depth of pain for a long time. And Mm. my instant human reaction was to run, you know, fight or flight. I'm flying. I'm going. Um, quickly, I my head started conjuring up all these excuses. How do I get out of it? What lies can I tell to, you know, it was crazy, crazy stuff. But I was a, I listened to my intuition. And even while all this head stuff was going on, in my heart, I knew that I wasn't going to run. <laughs> I knew that this was an absolute blessing that was just presented in front of me. I was yeah. not looking forward to what the repercussions of this was going to be, what I, what I needed to do to shift through to it. I was not looking forward to it at all. I thought it was mm. this, it was leading to an event that was supposed to be a reward. You know, this is what my head's saying. We're supposed to be, this is the final night. It's supposed to be a celebration and a reward. This isn't what it's going to be. It's absolutely, I freaked out. <laughs> But I listened. Okay, right. I listened to my intuition, which was there saying to me, no, this is a reward. You just don't know what it is yet. And it's not up to you to know what it is, but you know that there's going to be a reward. You know that every single time without fail that you have pushed through a challenge, it's been magic that you have never been able to imagine before on the other side. So I did. Yeah, I had to process to to get through and I had to just keep bringing myself out of my head back to listening to my intuition. I'd done that constantly for hours just to process that and to be comfortable enough to actually go through with the next step. And on the next step of that, I found, (laughs) oh, my goodness, 
And the next step of that, I found the woman trainer. For the first time in my life, I understand I met the woman inside of me and that, oh, my goodness, <laughs> the depths of pain that I felt were dissolved in what I found on the other side of that. And it's just like, there you go, girl, another proof, another piece of proof to you. You just keep pushing. You just keep pushing and or not even pushing, moving. Just keep moving, and on the mm. other side is, all, is always the magic. And that, and it was only my intuition that got got me through that. Only if I had have gone anywhere near my head stuff, I would never have got to experience that. Trina, that is just amazing. It's that is self awareness on another level, mm. you know, because there's the the stuff that floors us, and our humanness doesn't know what to do with it, so it it cracks and we put all these excuses into place like what you said but then there's a, a level that I think you get with maturity and with mm. age and with experience that says hang on I know what the real deal is here I know what is really going on my mm. humanness wants to do this but I know that I have to do this and that trust is so vital I mean honestly mm. that's on another level and, and that is, is, leads me to my next thing is about the woman you are yet to become. Can you picture her? Can you envisage a sense of her? Oh, <laughs> I can actually. And it's funny, I've recently written a poem about this. Oh, and I, it was looking towards the woman that I am to become. And she is just an all-encompassing <sighs> strength, power and love, like I don't know exactly what she's going to be doing, but I don't need to know. I'm okay with that. But I know that just pushing forward, this woman is is going, she's going to touch the lives of the world. Trina, I, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed listening to your story because in helping you to pick it apart and see the huge value of what you have inside you and what your resilience is made of is so inspirational. And it's inspirational for me. Listening to you is validating for me mm. as well as another woman. So every time you tell your story, you inspire somebody else. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being with me today and, and for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's been an absolute honour to be able to share my story. And that that's kind of part of who I am. I, I want to share what I've been through, not to teach people what to do, because what I've done is not necessarily right for everyone else, but just to provide that glimpse of possibility. Thank you. If you have a story of courage and bravery where you had to really dig deep into your resilience and find your true power, I would really love to hear from you. Because when women stand up and tell their stories, they really do give hope and inspiration to others who are struggling right now in this moment. And women need a ton of strength systems, women they know and women they don't know, to be held by and to be heard by. When women celebrate their own courage and honour their stories, we give permission to other women to do the same. Dig deeper into your own discovery with us, check out our hideaway retreats, our secret coaching calls and our divine rituals to get you back on the road to your highest life purpose at www.womansblessing.com. And from me right now and from Trina, thank you so much for being with us today.